What Makes a Great Leader? In the podcast series, 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership, I explore this topic with Richard Lummis. We take a look at examples from history, from business, from current events, and even from the movies. If you're interested in all in business leadership, whether you're a CEO or whether you're a middle manager, this is the podcast series for you. We take a look at presidents and everyone in between. I hope you will check us out. 12 o'clock high. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. In this podcast, we take a look at the intersection of operational resiliency and compliance. Matt recently wrote two blog posts on this. So we ask uh, the question, what is operational resiliency? Why is technology so critical in its execution? How does it relate to the compliance function and how should a compliance officer consider operational resiliency in any best practices compliance program? We then turn to two recent examples of operational resiliency issues literally torn from the headlines. One was a data breach and the second involved uh, the Federal Reserve Bank or the Fed and their thoughts on operational resiliency. It's a topic that every compliance practitioner needs to be aware of going forward. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production on the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, back again with the coolest guy in compliance, Matt Kelly, for... Uh, another edition of Compliance Into the Weeds. I note parenthetically that this will be the first podcast in the last month of the second decade of the 21st century. So chaw on that one for a little bit. Um, Matt, first of all, uh, I hope you've recovered from Thanksgiving and welcome. Uh, Hello, Tom. We are all recovered from Thanksgiving here in Boston, but we are now dealing with our first snowstorm of the year, which involved a crappy slushy start to Monday with allegedly eight more inches of snow coming on Tuesday. So um, the party never stops when you live in New England in the wintertime. Well, actually, I would have to take that in a different direction. It's a direct result of uh, last night's Texans win over the Patriots, uh, having gone uh, 0 for 10 for the century uh, against Tom Brady. Uh, It's not surprising that hell is freezing over today. Yeah, uh, you know that I the, that thought had occurred to me as well as I saw that game and read up about it this morning. So, Matt, you had a couple of posts over the past week about operational resiliency. Um, yes, and uh, why don't you kind of set the stage to start with on uh, wh- why you were talking about it or where you were talking about it with it with uh, a group of other compliance practitioners. Yeah, sure. So this uh, came about before Thanksgiving. I was in New York and attending a symposium at Fordham Law School about operational resilience. And for people who are in the finance sector, this will probably have more immediate um, contact with you because operational resilience is very much an in vogue idea for financial regulators worried about the banking system. Um, But that led to a lot of discussion about what operational resilience really is, how a lot of that is tied up in technology issues, partly cybersecurity, partly some other related tech issues. And we can get into that. 
Um, but a lot of the compliance professionals in the room at Fordham were struggling with, okay, what actually is it? How much is this a regulatory demand? It is, but is it really a compliance concern in the traditional way that we would think about it? Kind of, sort of, maybe not. We're not clear. Um, so there was a whole lot of discussion about that. And then by coincidence, and Tom, we can get into this later on too, after I had that first post about the Fordham discussion of operational resilience, we saw some very clear signals from regulators afterwards, um, in no connection to Fordham, saying, yes, they're paying much more attention to this. And we had some other really good examples of disruption that uh, very clearly operations at firms were not resilient and uh, caused a whole big mess. So clearly, this is going to be something that in the next decade is going to be a bigger deal. So that's why I've been writing about it so much lately. Matt, the first time I read through your first blog post entitled Comp Compliance Role and Operation, Operational Resiliency, I'd really thought about it in the context of risk management, um, that that is certainly a, a concept that uh, everyone i is at least aware of, and the management of risk is a function of the compliance uh, component of your company. But it seems to me operational resilience takes risk risk management a step further, uh, because uh, I think you pointed out that op operational resilience means um, are you uh, continuing to provide services to your customers, whether that be in financial services or in, in your second uh, real world example. Uh, uh, medical records, but mm -hmm. would operational resilience be a step past risk management? Um, I, yeah, I would probably say so. And in fact, at that Fordham meeting, we spent a good deal of time just trying to define clearly what operational resilience is. Um, the, the sort of standard definition, if you Google it, which I did, um, you would see that it is an organization's ability to withstand shocks or return to normal operation after a shock, um, which is a mouthful. So somebody at the Fordham uh, meeting, I don't remember exactly who, said, uh, really, this is about your ability to keep calm and carry on. Well, keep calm and carry on with what? With providing services to your customers. And I actually, I liked that description quite a bit. Because it's simple and it helps you focus on, okay, well, what are the actual services we provide to whom and therefore what could go wrong that would disrupt our ability to keep providing to them? Um, that sounds a little bit simple. Actually, in the nitty gritty of banking regulation, they get really particular about it. There are specific terms. I think one is called like return to operations, um, you know, RTO within, I think like two hours. So if you suffer a disruption, can you achieve RTO within two hours? And if not, why not? Uh, and regulators would want to know that in the banking sector. And it could be a big deal because if you're a bank or if you're an airline or a hospital and you're disrupted and you are down for two hours, like, that's an enormous deal. You know, people are going to flip out. Your customers are going to be furious. You're going to be in the news. Um, so regulators in the banking sector, you know, they really watch this closely. And we can get to some other real world examples, Tom, outside the banking sector. But this idea of what are we providing and providing to whom? What is our place in the, the big link of uh, the endless economic chain? 
and how can we assure that we can continue to provide operation services to whoever that's what resiliency really means um and i'll stop there but it took us a good 15 minutes or so just to kind of reach a consensus on that uh before we got into some nitty other gritty other questions and the other thing that struck me in reading your first blog post, and I want to quote a line from it, it said, you said that that's the critical question for assessing, assessing operational risk, and operational risk is what a firm needs to understand so it b- can build controls to keep those risks in check. Uh, that took me to the COSO framework, because one of the uh, control, um, excuse me, the objectives in the con- COSO framework is a control activity, and one of the principles, principle 11, is control activities over technology. And there are four points of focus uh, directly around controls over technology. So uh, I guess the the other thing is this information is really not new. Uh, The COSO framework, written in 2011 or 2012, became uh, effective in 2013, Um, clearly uh, asked... um, people to start thinking about that in terms of controls. Is this bringing that discussion forward or is this something different? It's something I think a little bit different. Um, COSO's framework was originally designed for Sarbanes-Oxley compliance and still a lot of people will think about IT controls in terms of um, control over data and control over the completeness and accuracy of data and reports you generate. And certainly that's part of this, you know, because it's one big fear, especially in financial services, is not so much data theft. That's a hassle, and that's going to require a whole set of countermeasures and whatnot. But data disruption, and if hackers came in and disrupted you by, you know, giving false or inaccurate liquidity positions, that can put a bank in a really big jeopardy really fast. Um, and regulators think about this too, because once one bank is in jeopardy, so are many others. Um, so they think about IT controls and data controls and more governing what the data is that helps us make decisions. Um, but resiliency is also just about systems being up and running to be able to let you do whatever it is you're going to do. And that's why I was saying that operational resilience has become a lot more about IT risk generally because we have become so reliant on technology to provide the services to our customers. So if resilience is keep providing services to your customers and we're relying on technology to do that, then we have big IT risks. And we had big IT risks back when we were all on like Windows 95 with all your IT done by an IT center down on the basement or something like that. But today we're using so many cloud-based vendors to provide IT services to us so we can provide something else to somebody else. And suddenly you get a sense of how many different IT vendors are providing not technology products, but services 24 hours a day that are critical to me providing my service to the next link in the chain. And suddenly you start to see how cybersecurity and IT governance and evaluation of vendors of uh, all these tech, these tech service vendors, how this becomes such a big unwieldy mess at the moment that we are really struggling to define 
and understand how to do it well. But I think everybody understands the consequences if you do this poorly and, you know, maybe hackers will screw you up. Maybe your IT system will flop. Um, hackers not involved at all. Some great examples from the airline industry where they are reliant on ticketing systems that can trace their origins back to like the Truman administration. And um, these systems might fail at a critical moment. Well, that's operational disruption and your resiliency has gone down the tubes and now the airline is shut down and nobody knows why. And that had nothing to do with any hackers. And that those are real stories that have happened to, I think, Delta and United when they merged with Continental and so on and so forth. So a lot of this is going to be about governing cybersecurity, governing your IT technology vendors, and governing your IT integration and project management in your IT systems generally. All right, now I'll stop again. Matt, Matt, let me play that out in the context of your second blog post entitled Operational Resilience <laughs> Part 2. And uh, you talk about the Fed the Federal yep. Reserve's wanting to broaden its examination of tech firms that provide services to the banking industry. And then you draw upon a specific example uh, that has been in the news, which is Amazon Web Services in the context of the Capital One data breach from July. And really the, the thing that that brought up for me back in July, and as you wrote about it here last month, was how is Tom Fox Law or... Tom Fox Energy Company, a multi-billion dollar uh, corporation, have the ability to assess um, Amazon Web Services or any other major cloud services provider? Um, and how can we take the steps around our own responsibility for operational resiliency uh, beyond what, uh, or at least uh, along the line of what the Fed has talked about, or is, is this something else? It's um, it's challenging, uh, but let me take a step back for a moment because I think the Fed is a great example of why regulators are going to be on companies' cases more vigorously for this. So we were just saying that operational resilience is your ability to provide services to your customers. Well, if you are the Fed, your customers are the consuming public who use the banking system every day. And you have to continue providing them a service. And the Fed, the service the Fed provides is a functioning bank system. Um, so that is what the Fed is trying to get from the banks. We want to make sure, banks, that you are not going to choke up at some critical moment and have a system-wide banking failure, which is what happened essentially in 2008, in September 2008, when Lehman Brothers went bank and suddenly it looked like the whole financial system might seize. Um, the Fed does not want this to happen again. So they are looking to measure and assess the operational resilience of the, all the players in the financial system, which means they want to look at all of the players for each of those banks, which could be a zillion different tech providers. Amazon Web Services is a great example uh, because it does provide a lot of critical IT resources to banks. A uh, good example would have been Capital One, where Amazon was providing the data storage capacity to Capital One. Capital One still ran all of its own applications, but it was running them on Amazon Web Services. Um, 
shortly before Capital One discovered and disclosed that it had a gigantic breach um, caused by a former Amazon Web Services customer, um, employee. Um, and by coincidence, the Fed was trying to look at Amazon Web Services for the first time. Um, and there was a great story in the Wall Street Journal where Amazon was essentially asking the Fed, well, what are you going to do with this data? Why are you here? We want to know what you're going to do with these inspection reports. And the Fed had to tell Amazon, that's not how this works. We are the Fed. We will tell you how high to jump or we will say jump. You will ask how high. That's the only question you can ask the Fed. Um, but you were going to see more of that. Uh, and the Fed was, say, a key official at the Federal Reserve, the uh, Deputy General Counsel for Litigation, he was saying just before Thanksgiving at a conference that uh, the Fed is looking at how many powers it has to inspect technology service providers, irrespective of their bank and customers. They're not going to go to the bank and ask about, what do you know about your tech providers? They're going to go straight to the tech providers and say, we want to know how your systems are and how resilient you are. So if you're a tech provider to banking, you're going to have to start to think about this. If you're in banking, you're probably already starting to think about how do we get assurances from our tech providers. I'm sure it's been on your mind, but the Fed is turning up the heat on this. And they're going to make this a bigger and bigger priority because reliable tech providers are going to be more and more crucial to operational resilience. And that's what the Fed wants from the whole banking system, or else they're going to scream bloody murder when we have another financial crisis. And um, we all remember what happened in 2008 and the chaos there and the Dodd-Frank mess that happened after that. Um, nobody wants a repeat of that. Well, this is the regulatory oversight you have to do now to prevent a repeat of that kind of stuff. And that's why we're here. Let's move to the uh, non-financial uh, services world example, a virtual care provider, and yes. how the ransomware, um, I don't want to say straightforward or, or traditional ransomware, uh, because I don't wish to diminish it at all, but it's ransomware attacks we've seen previously against other companies. But now we have a case where potentially the, the company may be shut down and want to talk through this, through this one for us. Yeah, this is a great, great case to study. So this is Virtual Care Provider, which is a Wisconsin company. Um, they provide data storage, email hosting, all sorts of other technology services to nursing homes. And they provide them to more than 110 nursing homes across the United States. Well, on November 17, Virtual Care was hit by a ransomware attack that shut down pretty much the whole business. And the hackers have demanded $14 million dollars which virtual care does not have. So there is a real possibility that virtual care might fold. And if they suddenly go belly up because of this ransomware attack, well, all of the data and the services that they had been providing to these nursing homes, that all gets locked up and goes away forever. So now the nursing homes are wondering, well, if we can't process claims, if we can't access patient data, will we have to you know, face some sort of big operational disruption? Could the nursing homes get shut down? And that, that is at least a theoretical possibility. Um, but this is a non-banking example of really what I had just been babbling on about for 10 or 15 minutes, that if you have a critical technology service provider and you don't know how reliable it is or is not, 
because it might be vulnerable to disruption or failure or something else, well, your whole operational resilience is now called into question. And in this case, you are the nursing homes. Um, and we don't know yet how this story is going to end. But very clearly, if the banking regulators are caring about tech vendors maybe affecting the banks, virtual care shows that, look, other regulators are going to get on this bandwagon because a failure of nursing homes because of some technology provider somewhere else down the line, that is tailor-made for consumer anger, media attention, regulators getting involved, and they're going to get involved by telling businesses, pay more attention to your operational resilience. And most of that is going to be bundled up in the tech providers you're using and how you're configuring all of them together and all of the other technology that you're using. And a lot of auditors will say, okay, this sounds like business continuity and disaster recovery. It is partly that, but a lot of it is also about knowing who are these vendors in our extended enterprise who are providing us these services? We need to do better due diligence on them. Well, that's kind of sort of what a compliance officer does. Um, it's not the traditional sort of ethics and compliance anti-corruption issue that a lot of our listeners might hear about. But this dynamic, this issue, whatever we want to call it about operational resiliency, this is only going to get more prominent in the decade to come. So that's why I still have a lot of thoughts about how you're not going to be able to avoid contact with this issue if you're in ethics and compliance. I don't know that you're going to have to handle it, but you're going to see it. If you look outside your office window about all the concerns the company has that you might get pl pulled into, this is going to be one of them. Matt, um, perhaps we could end on the point you raised at the end of your first blog post, which is, should compliance and risk management be merged? Uh, I don't think we're there yet, but it certainly seems to me this is facilitating that conversation. Yeah. Uh, this is another one where if you're in the banking industry, this is not a new idea, um, that they see this as uh, there's liquidity risk, there's credit risk, there's compliance risk, and they're all thinking, well, this is risk, risk, risk. Shouldn't there be one risk officer in charge of it all? And banks are, you know, banking regulators do try to regulate operational resilience. So it's a regulatory requirement, even though it's more about an operational issue. So it's kind of hard to say that operational resilience is a regulatory issue like other regulatory risks, but it's there. So banks are struggling with this, but it is not totally unusual to see a chief compliance officer report into a chief risk officer in the banking sector. My question is whether we'll see that issue crop up again in other industries. Um, there are some people who have been talking about this for 10 or 15 years, that this is going to be right around the corner. It always seems to be there and never actually comes to face face to face with us. Um, but I have seen some other institutions, not banks, um, higher ed does this a lot, where they'll say that um, risk assurance generally, audit, compliance risk, all sorts of other risks like that, we're going to put them into some sort of office of integrity or office of risk management. I, I don't think that that risk management is what banks mean when they say chief risk officer. Um, there's some nomenclature overlap here that drives me a little bit up the wall, but we're increasingly going to see that um, 
compl- successful management of your compliance risks is going to be just as important as management of all your other risks, including operational stuff like operational resiliency. So people are going to wonder, can we merge these two functions or not? And the people at Fordham, who are a great, great institute there, uh, they have a great compliance program. Um, they were the ones who put me onto this. Like, we never actually got a good answer during our symposium about how you would or wouldn't do this well. But it's not an unheard of idea in banking. And I do wonder if it's going to spread to other industries over time. So, Matt, this sounds like something we are going to be revisiting uh, quite a bit in the future. I suspect so. Well, I look forward to continuing that conversation. All right, Tom. Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. I'm going to link to Matt's two blog posts in our show notes, so please be sure to check them out. If you have any questions, you can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. You can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you'll join Matt and I again next week, where we take another deep dive into the weeds, into a compliance or compliance-related issue. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.